Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. So you thought we missed it, jersey number 40. Well, we have the special Football by Numbers bonus edition with jersey number 40. And we have a special guest, George Bazika of the PFRA, football historian who's going to help us get a top 10. Coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. This is your host, Darren Hayes, and we're podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron, one day at a time. So with Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff supplying us with the tunes, let's go no huddle through today's football history headlines and birthdays of Hall of Famers. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com, and welcome once again to the Pig Pen, where we have another bonus edition of our Football by Numbers series. And tonight we're going to talk about this jersey number 40. And it's uh, quite a few people on that list that we want to talk about. It's a very substantial number. And I've got a little bit of help tonight. I've got uh, the uh, Assistant Executive Director of the PFRA, uh, George Bazika. And we had him on about a month ago talking about the PFRA convention and uh, some of his history growing up in Canton, Ohio. And uh, we're going to bring him in right now. George Bozico, welcome once again to the pig pen. Thank you, Darren. Uh, glad to be back on. Yeah, we, we are sure glad to have you and have your expertise here because we are, have a very daunting task here, my friend. Uh, we have a lot of great stars here with the, or the number 40. So, but before we get into that, uh, we are just about a month away when we're recording this uh, in uh I guess the latter part of May, uh, getting ready for that PFR convention. It's about a month away. Uh, how, how are things going for that? It's coming together real nice. Uh, it's um, as I m- mentioned before, it's a four day convention starting June 24th through the 27th. Uh, going to have uh, some add on activities uh, to start off. We're doing a tour of the Paul Brown museum in Masson on Thursday uh, go see the Paul Brown statue, which is at their high school stadium, and uh, they have a Ohio historical marker there. Uh, then Friday, we're having a lunch in a vendor's restaurant in downtown Cannes, which uh, is a historic restaurant in Cannes that has ties to the early years of the NFL. They said that it was one of Jim Thorpe's favorite watering holes, at least that's the legend. Uh, and then we're uh, going to tour the 11, which is a new thing they've done in downtown Canton that basically highlights 11 of the top moments in NFL history. Uh, and they also just opened Centennial uh, Plaza, which is neat because uh, uh, you'll be able to see uh, the names of every uh, player that's played in the NFL there, which is really something that wow. they've done. That. And then uh, Friday evening, we start our convention. Uh, we have our usual lineup of uh, speakers. We're going to be doing things on the pre-NFL history of the league, the uh, founding, the original teams. Uh, I think since I talked to you, I can't remember, but uh, on Saturday morning after our business meeting, uh, we have um, John Maximuk, who just recently had a book come out, Pioneer Coaches of the NFL. He's going to talk about Guy Chamberlain, one of the early successful coaches in the league. And then Joe Horrigan, uh, who uh, used to be um, 
or the head honcho over at the Hall of Fame um, right. from a research and, and history standpoint is going to be a speaker. So we're really glad that Joe's going to join us. And he's actually one of the co-founders of our organization. And in the afternoon, we're having a player panel with uh, Roger Duffy, um, uh, Mark Miller, and uh, Bob Vogel. So uh, it's going to be a full weekend. We're also doing a tour on Sunday of the archives, a sort of behind-the-scenes tour, which is already basically – it's it's a freebie, but it's sold out. I, I – I, I, that's filled up and, and just everything else is filling up quickly. Uh, the meeting is almost full and the other events are filling up quickly. I get uh, a, a number of reservations uh, every week and, uh, and I know they, they become hot and heavy here. We're hoping that with, with what happened with the COVID um, uh, announcements last week that we're going to be hopefully be able to have more people because right now we're almost at our limit uh at the hall of fame so i'm hoping that um that's going to open up a little bit because i know a lot of things in ohio uh, they're feeling that it should be at full capacity by the beginning of june so we're hoping that that happens i know they wow. just mentioned yesterday that uh that uh, progressive uh field the indians is it should be a full capacity by the the first and also uh we have a local minor league team here in akron uh the rubber ducks and they're saying that they'll be at full capacity around june 1st too so that's sort of exciting that things are finally appear to be opening up so yeah that's great news yeah hopefully we can yeah. get as many people as we can yeah. in there yeah yeah so that's, that's what we're hoping for so yeah so things are coming together nicely well well that is a, a great segue to uh sort of take us into our, our player number 40s because usually yes. where we start off is we let the pro football hall of fame sort of be our guide and uh mm-hmm. lead us into our discussion of the jersey numbers and they have uh, seven individuals that they're showing uh were the number 40 that are in the pro football hall of fame and uh th- those names are gail sayers mike haynes elroy hirsch charlie joiner cal hubbard Clark Hinkle and Wayne Milner. Now, I'm not sure which in your research, but Clark Hinkle, I could not find where he wore the number 40 at. Um, mm-hmm. And I, uh, I, I believe what the Pro Football Hall of Fame is saying, but I, I went through and tried to find it. I saw where he was wearing 41 and some other numbers, but I could not find number 40 anywhere. So I'm a little bit at a loss with, with him. I know who the player is, but I just don't know that he wore the number 40 for sure. Right, right. I, I'm not certain of that either. Uh, I know that he was a, um, you know, great player for the Packers in the 30s, and uh, um, he's in in my uh, total football too. He's listed as one of the 300 greatest players of all time. So, uh, uh, and he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1964. So uh, that was a year after the charter, because the charter class was in '63. Uh, okay. And actually, he's from Ohio, which I didn't know. He was born in, in Toronto, Ohio, which is uh, in the eastern part of the state. And he passed away in Steubenville, Ohio, uh, which is also oh. in the eastern part of the state, almost into Pennsylvania. And Steubenville is is a hotbed for high school football, like so many towns in, in Ohio. But it, it's got a huge history for that. And that whole area, uh, because it borders Pennsylvania, it's just it's just a real hotbed. So, uh, yeah, yep. he was uh, you know, he was an excellent player with the uh, the. Uh, I'm sorry, the Packers for a number of years. Yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar with Steubenville. I'm, I'm, I live in Erie, so I, I officiated right. high school football for 27 years. Yeah. Yeah. The whole sort of the border towns there, you know, Mercer County all, all the way up to Erie. So mm-hmm. we're very familiar with the Youngstown teams and Steubenville's and, uh, you know, St. Ed's from Cleveland coming over and playing some games with our, our folks over here. So, yeah, some great football there. So, um, okay, so I'm, I'm not sure what we want to do with Clark Hinkle. Um, not knowing if, you know, for sure that he was wearing the number 40. And I know we've, we've 
had some other uh, players where we weren't, we questioned him a little bit, but we can, we can always put a question mark or an asterisk and come back to him or, you know, or something like that. Uh, but we do have, you know, I guess, I guess the, sort of that, uh, the elephant in the room of our, our great players here has probably got to be Gail Sayer sitting at the, the top of the heap. Most definitely. Most definitely. Uh, I mean, he was one of my favorite running backs, you know, growing up the, the Kansas Comet, you know, I mean, uh, he was just amazing. I, 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 I personally think he's one of the two or three best running backs of all time. I know that his numbers don't stack up with some of the numbers that you see, but that was because, you know, his career was cut short because of, of injuries. Uh, you know, he, uh, in fact, it was interesting today because uh, I've been sort of, you know, doing a little research here the last couple of days. And I was listening to one of our local sports talk shows I were about today. And they mentioned somebody that just injured their knee. And they said, just think if, if the modern t- technology, medical technology had been in existence when Gail Sayers blew out his knees. You know, they said that, you know, with modern technology going back to the 1960s, you know, it may have lengthened his career. Uh, but, you know, sadly, you know, he, he had a short but spectacular career. I mean, his first three seasons, he led the league in all-purpose yards. Twice he led the league in, in, uh, in rushing yards. Uh, he was four-time pro bowler, um, 60s all-decade team, 100th NFL anniversary league team. So, I mean, it was amazing. And, and I mean, I, I think one of my favorite stories about Gale Sayers, too, is his relationship and friendship with Brian Piccolo. Um, I'm sure most people are aware of the movie Brian song that came out, you know, in 1970. Um, I remember I was probably, see, I think I would have been, it was, I, I looked it up. That movie came out on November 30th, 1971. And it was part of the old ABC Tuesday night movie of the week. And I, I don't know why I remember this, but I remember the Monday night game before. I remember Frank Gifford mentioning that, you know, he had seen the movie already and he was recommending it to people. It was a, at the time, it was the highest rated TV movie of all time. And of course, James Conn played Brian Piccolo, who about three or four months later, The Godfather opened. And obviously, he played Sonny Corleone in The Godfather. And right. then Billy Dee Williams played Gail Sayers. And Jack Warden, who was a great character actor, if, if he's one of those kind of character actors that if you see his picture, his 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 face and his picture, you know you've you've probably seen him in in you know movie after movie after movie. He played George Hallis in the movie, uh, but I, I always remember that story and you know the the you know the the friendship between those two and you know sadly you know Brian Piccolo died of cancer at at, at age twenty six. But uh, you know I I remember that as part of sort of the overall story but you know I was really fascinated to see some of the things that people said about Gail Sayers you know Dick Budka said that he had this ability to go full speed stop and then you know cut and then go to full speed again his acceleration was amazing and if you see him in the films he was just amazing his rookie year he scored six touchdowns against the 49ers Uh, and you know that was amazing if you ever see that game you know he 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 had a, um, a short pass that he ran, I think, for 80 yards. He had, I think, four rushing touchdowns, and then he had a return. Uh, and it was just an amazing game. And, and they actually took him out early because the feeling was he might have been able to get another one because six touchdowns is, is obviously the record. He tied uh, 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 Dub Jones' record and, you know, six touchdowns and also um, Ernie Never. So, you know, it was, it was just an amazing performance. And that's, you know, he was the kind of guy that could go all the way 
every time he got the ball. And, and you know, and he often said, give me 18 inches. I thought that was really mm-hmm. interesting. If you give me a crease of 18 inches, that's all he needed. So, yeah, he, uh, I, I can say right now, of all the players, number 40, he is at the top of my list. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think he's uh, going number one on our list. If, uh, if you're in agreement with that, he'll be right in the top ten. Uh, to right now. <laughs> most definitely, I, I can't. I my I think my passion is showing through, but I, I can't say enough about I, Gail Sayers. I'm very excited. And I never, don't, I don't remember him playing. I was a little bit too young to watch him play, but I do remember when Brian's song came out. Maybe I didn't see the original one in 71. I would have been about five years old, but I remember being rather young. He was a you know TV movie at night. My dad said, Oh, you got to watch this. And you know, I was probably less than 10 years old. So it might, might've been that 71 show. And uh, so I saw it and I, I became uh, you know, a Gail Sayers fan, you know, after his uh, playing days. And when I was in high school, I had to read the book I Am Third that he wrote. Yep. And that was his his premise. You know, I am third is you know, God is first, my friends and family are second, and I am third. That was the, the title of the book. And probably about two months after I did a book report on it in school, we had um a, a banquet, a sporting banquet in Erie, Pennsylvania, where I was attending high school, and I was a, a busboy at a local restaurant, a, a club restaurant. And I sat there going cleaning out tables and I looked and there were some dignitaries there that I recognized and they, they knew me from sports and everything. And I looked sitting with them is Gail Sayers. And I'm like, going, oh, I, I know who that is. Yeah. I got, I got an opportunity. I, I told him, you know, I just had read his book and did a book report on it and how much I enjoyed it and everything. He took the time, you know, 16, 17 year old kid. I was at the time working. He said, Hey, come over here. He took me over to an empty table, sat down with me for about five minutes and just, just talked to me. I mean, just a kind human being that he was, you know, and now, you know, here's this big star sitting there in a, a strange town talking to somebody that's, you know, just a worker, the lowest worker at the restaurant. And that always stuck in my mind of what a great person he is. And mm-hmm. just that five minutes I spent with him, uh, very, very, um, inspirational in what he said to me, you know, you know, just yeah. said, you can basically, you can be whatever you want to be and do whatever you want you want to do, you know, here, look what I did, you know, and I, I was a nobody and look what I did. You know, so it's, yeah, it's he, great. Yeah, he uh, was a great on the field and off the field. I I heard that about him before, is that he was, you know, just as, you know, that way off the field also. You know, Sally too. He had some memory issues at the end and just uh, passed away just recently. So um, yeah, that was sad that that was a great loss to the whole football community. You know, uh, with with Gail. I I know that um, every year because of my son's radio job, he gets to interview some of the Hall of Famers when they come to Canton, and. Uh, I know that he had tried to interview Gail Sarah's last, you know, few years when he did make it to Canton, but he usually would decline interview because of his memory issues. So, uh, sort of a yeah, it's a it's uh, a shame. It is, but but just an unbelievable career. Yeah, so I mean, you know, definitely one of the best. Yeah, and, and, I, I I mean, I know this is probably sacrilegious to some people, but I I would rate him above Walter Payton. But I know that's probably sacrilegious to some people. But I I, I don't I, know. I, I mean, pr- yeah. probably if he has the same length of career as Payton, yeah. and has uh, some of the offensive lines that Payton had, maybe you know, yeah. who knows, you know. Um, but the other thing to talk about, you mentioned Buckus, you mentioned Hallis. How about Hallis? You know, the draft that year having. Was it one two? Was Butkus and and Sayers, or maybe it was the other way around? But he got them the first two picks of the Chicago Bears changed yeah, their amazing. entire dynamic of their team. It did. It, did. it really did. Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, you know that it was amazing the longevity that Hallis had. You know to win a a title in the '60s when he won the 
title in 63. It was just amazing. And then obviously they had some down years with when, when Sayers were there, but you know, they, they were always very competitive and obviously guys like Sayers and Buckus made them competitive. So yeah, just yeah. Um, great story. Yeah, it certainly is. Certainly is. And uh, that's why Gail Sayers is our first player in our top 10. Now, uh, is there anybody in particular you want to go to next? Or we'll just stick with the Hall of Famers, if that's okay. We'll go yeah, through them fine. first. By the way, I, I, I quickly looked up here on my uh, cell phone, Clark Hinkle, and Pro Football Reference shows his number as being number 41. That's so, that's what I found also. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, I don't think he was a number 40. And, so, and we did no, have no. him. We, we have talked about him on some of the other number because he, he had like four or five different numbers he wore. And I know he's yeah. been on some of our top 10 lists, but yeah, we want to make sure we're doing the justice of the number here. Sure, so sure, we'll sure. probably exclude him from uh, making our top 10. And we, we did talk about him a bit here. Yeah, they the show, honor. actually, they show on Pro Football Reference, they show his number every year. And he did wear a number of different numbers, but he never wore number 40, according to this. He wore 27, 30, 45. Uh, 41 actually his most common number was 30 he wore that the most number of seasons so uh that's that's interesting but yeah yeah so yeah, great yeah. player hall of famer but not a number 40 <laughs> right yeah not a number 40 but they have a few few errors like that too. we, we sure. question we've come across so sure that's good um well uh, who, who do you like to talk to next about from the hall of fame let's talk about crazy legs hirsch okay elroy hirsch yeah that's great, yeah great name huh great nickname yeah, it is and, and i and i actually would have him slotted as my number two number 40 um i, you know, I agree with you so i'm gonna put him on the list <laughs> i think we're in agreement with that you know a lot of people i think wonder you know the nickname it was because he had such an unusual running style one person said it looks like his 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 feet were going in in you know a number of different directions so that's why he got the nickname uh you know he played in the for the Chicago Rockets of the AAFC before he, he came in with the Rams. Uh, his 1951 season is just an amazing season. He was uh, he was a three-time Pro Bowler. He just recently was named to the 100th anniversary team, uh, and he's also a 1950s All-Decade team. Uh, I, I, I think he's one of those kind of players that personifies the 1950s football. I, I just think of that when I think of him. You know, and that, and that 51 Rams team, which – we actually just did a book on the 1951 Rams. It'll be released here later this year. You know, that was an unusual team and that, you know, Hirsch played for two, two hall of fame quarterbacks that were played at the same time and Bob Waterfield and Norm Van Brocklin. And mm-hmm. they won the championship and were one of the best teams in the NFL over that period of time. And, you know, but that 1951 season, this is a 12 game season. He had 66 receptions, 1,495 yards, 22.7 yards per catch, 17 touchdowns, the longest touchdown catch of the year at 91 yards, and he averaged 124.6 yards per game receiving. It was just – it's one of the great seasons of a receiver in, in the history of the game. It's just amazing. It's just amazing. So, yeah, that, that would be outstanding in today's standards where we're passing yeah, the ball a yeah, lot more. Yeah. So. But, but let alone think about that. That was 12 games. You know, right. More, think about those with four more games added on. You know, I mean, you know, that would be another uh, 500 yards on top of that. It would be almost a 2,000-yard season. So it was yeah. – and you know, it was just an amazing year that he had during that, that – uh, that championship season when they finally got revenge for losing to the Browns a year before on Lou Groza's uh, last minute field goal. So, uh, but yeah, they came back and won that year. Actually, the funny thing was, ironically, the touchdown catch in the championship game, the Juana was caught by Tom Fears, their other hall of fame receiver. So that was one of the great offenses of all time. So just yeah. unbelievable. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, that, that 51 team and those early 50 Rams teams, when you, you talk about, you know, Waterfield and uh, Van Brocklin, and they all, the old saying is when you have two quarterbacks, you have none. Well, I think they were, you could point to that example and say, that's not right. <laughs> that's not no. right. Cause there's, no. and they split time, I think too. And they both had a great season. You know, the quarterbacks did too. And you know, definitely fears and, uh, and Mr. Hirsch did also, yeah. but yeah. And they also had the, the bull elephant backfield, which was uh uh, you know, basically, you know, three fullback style runners that, you know, basically would pound the ball too on top of the, the air, the great air game they had. Oh, yeah. Pick your poison, how to stop them. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Wow. All right. Yeah. So uh, definitely, uh, no worry. Crazy leagues. Hirsch is, uh, in our top 10 was our second spot here. Okay. Is there anybody in particular that catches your fancy next to talk about? Yeah, I, I guess I would if we're going to continue on sort of the the, the top ten in the Hall of Famers. I think next would be Mike Haynes. I, I totally agree. Yeah, totally uh, agree. Uh, Hall of Fame cornerback with both the Pats, the Patriots, and the the Raiders. I think I think he's mostly known as a Raider. I think you know I, mm-hmm. I, I when I think of, of him, I think of him as a Raider. Uh, nine Pro Bowls. Uh, he was also a great return man, and he teamed up with another great cornerback who's not in the Hall of Fame, Lester Hayes. Uh, Mr. Stickham. Uh, I don't know if you remember Lester Hayes, but oh, they, oh yeah. they, Hayes, but uh, they they paired up for that great Raider defensive line, Super Bowl eighteen. They were just he, uh, just he had a great last name. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, but yeah, they were two of the 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 best probably cornerback tandems of all time. So just uh, you know, he was part of that amazing uh, defense that the Raiders had back then. Yeah, and they had uh, what Tatum at safety and. You know, Vil Piano and there's some great players on that defense. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I totally agree with you about Mike Haynes and I, I have to apologize to the Mike Haynes fans out there because when we did the Jersey number 22s, we mentioned him briefly and that we were doing it with Oz Davis was our guest on there. And about uh, two days after we posted it, um, you know, Oz and I started having a conversation like, oh, my God, we didn't put, you know, Mike Haynes on our list. And he definitely should have been on our, our number 22 top list uh, also. And I apologize for those Mike Haynes, but we're making sure we talk, take care and talk about him for these number 40s. And uh, we'll have a correction episode coming up to talk about anybody we missed. And he'll definitely be talked about in the 22s. So, yeah, ex- excellent uh, defensive back and cornerback for the Raiders and, and the Patriots, Mike Haynes. Okay, I, I think we want to put him on our list also, correct? Yep. Most okay, definitely. we're in agreement there. Yep, absolutely. All right. All right. Um, how about um go a little bit of old school? How about how about a little bit of Cal Hubbard? Cal Hubbard, uh, he's the only guy that's in both the baseball hall of fame and the football hall of fame. Uh after his uh football career ended, he became one of the, the great umpires. Uh, in Major League Baseball history in the American League, which I, I think is interesting. I, uh, you know, so, I mean, you can see his, you can see his uh, image at both Cooperstown and at Canton. So, uh, and he's also in the College Football Hall of Fame, but he's, he's an early player. He's on the 1920s All-Decade team, charter member of the Hall of Fame in 1963, that charter class. Uh, he was a great, you know, uh, you know played, played offense and defense, offensive lineman, also played some linebacker on defense. He was a member of four, championship teams uh i believe one with the giants and three with the packers uh and he wore number four he wore some other numbers but he wore number 40 in 1930 and 1932 which 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 are years that he was with the packers but 
You know, he, you know, uh, I think his claim to fame is the fact that he's in both Hall of Fames uh, and as an umpire, you know, for baseball, which is, I think, is amazing. Yeah, you know, yeah. So, go go from a, yeah. a player on the gridiron to being an umpire. That's kind of a an odd jump. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It is. It really is. But yeah. So yeah. So I. I and I. He's definitely in the top ten. I don't know where I would slot him, but I think he's got to be in the top ten. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, and just uh, looking at his uh, his height and weight. I mean, coming out of uh, Geneva College and Centenary, he stood six foot four and weighed two hundred fifty pounds. In nineteen, you know, late nineteen twenties. That's a that's a large man back then. It's a large it man is, now, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but definitely back then. You know, I mean, yeah. So yeah, so, but he's yeah. probably one of the few players, uh, stars back then that would probably match up size wise and probably almost be able to play in today's NFL. You know, a little bit underweight. We'd have to you know, give him a couple stickers, bars, and some Twinkies, but we'd get him up to weight soon. <laughs> so yep. Yep. yeah, but yep. another another great player. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think we're, we'll put him in that top 10 also. So there's, there's four spots of our top 10. Uh, and uh, let's see, how about um, uh, Charlie Joyner? We got to talk about. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I almost feel like this is a cheat because I think he only wore number 41 year. Right. Uh, and, that, he, he, and, and that was his first season as I, as, as my research showed, because he was known as uh, number 18. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, you can't not keep him on the list because he did wear the number 40. Uh, and he played 18 seasons. I mean, just, you know, longevity alone, you know, I mean, he was just, you know, amazing. And he played on that great chargers, late seventies, early eighties, chargers, air Coriel team. Uh, mm-hmm. Don Coriel was their coach, had a wide open offense with Dan Fouts, a quarterback and John Jefferson and, and obviously Joyner and, uh, the great tight end, Kellen Winslow, but you know, that was just a fantastic team. They set all kinds of, you know, passing records and, uh, and yardage records uh, under Don Coriel. I think Don Coriel, his name has been coming up a lot recently as a guy that a lot of people feel should be in the hall of fame as a coach and just hasn't, hasn't made the cut. But I know a lot of people talked about him when they were going to have this, you know, enlarged class that's, you know, going to be, uh, well, part of the class already went in. Uh, they had a special ceremony, I think about a month ago, but, a lot of people thought he should be part of that special class because he was one that they felt, uh, you know, was overlooked. But when Joyner retired, I thought this was interesting. He had the most yards of any wide receiver uh, and the most receptions and also the most years of wide receiver when he retired at that, at the point of his retirement, obviously those yeah. haven't remained, but at the, at his point in the retirement, he was, he was the gold standard when he retired. And that, that's 1986 too. So there, yeah. I mean, it was there's modern football being played. It wasn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, no, obviously, and obviously Jerry Rice is blowing a lot of those, you know, records away, and you know, obviously Larry Fitzgerald and you know others have surpassed that. But but he he was the gold standard when he when he retired. Sort of like Jim Brown was a gold standard when he retired. So uh, I thought that was interesting. So. I mean, I think it's just amazing to have 19 seasons in the NFL as a wide receiver. You know, they're yeah. probably yeah. the smallest guys on the field that uh, really take some hard licks when they're defenseless a lot of times. And, uh, you know, yeah. 19 years, that's, that's saying something. And I thought, I thought this was interesting considering that Bill Walsh also coached Jerry Rice. He and I wrote this down because I thought it was interesting. He said that Joyner was the most intelligent, the smartest, most calculating receiver the game has ever known. 
I thought that was interesting coming from Bill Walsh. Yeah, that's definitely a a football intellectual, too, saying that about him. Yes, I I just thought that was interesting. But uh, And the other thing that I found, too, was he was just considered a really intelligent player, ran really precise routes, you know, and obviously the longevity took care of himself so he could last that many years. And, uh, you know, and I remember seeing him. He just seemed like, geez, Charlie, I I remember in the age, oh, Charlie – Joiner still playing. Charlie Joiner still playing. You know, it's just one of those things. You know, you, you thought maybe, well, didn't he retire? But no, he just kept going. He was sort of like the uh, the uh, ever ready bunny. I mean, you know, he just kept going. Right, and it wasn't just those lightning bolts on his helmet that made him look no. fast too. He he yeah, definitely yeah. had some dis- uh, he elusive speed in his route, so he made did. some good cuts. Now, do we? Now, here's here's something we can do. Now, only having that one year of number forty, we can put yeah. a little asterisk and come back to him. You know, when we go to talk about, because sometimes near, when we get near the end of those nines and tens, you know, 10th players coming on there, there might be yeah. some players that aren't in the hall that uh, maybe we want to do that work for a longer period of time. But we can always come back to him if you want to do that or we can put him in now. I, I think we almost have to put him in just based on okay. the fact that they were at that one year. I mean, I, I think you'll also be on your number 18. Probably. Oh, yeah, he, he definitely was on 18. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, I, yeah. So uh, but yeah, I, I, I think he almost needs to be because. After these top five, I think it starts getting a little more interesting uh, because you, you we're going to start getting into some players that, that a couple uh, – we still have some Hall of Famers, but we're also going to get into some that weren't Hall of Famers. Yeah, you're right. The, not Hall of Famers yet. There could be some yeah, on there that right, still, right. still someday make it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, so the only other one we haven't talked about, we, we uh, sort of took uh, Hinkle out of our uh, equation, but is Wayne Milner is the only other Hall of Famer that we haven't yeah. really spoke about yet. Yeah, it's interesting because I've seen some people say, well, they 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 really question Wayne Milner being in a Hall of Fame. But I, get, I think the thing with Man, Wayne Milner is you have to consider the era that he played in. You know, he was a he was a two way end, uh, very effective both on offense and defense. Uh, he was part of the. He started with the then Boston Redskins, which became the Washington Redskins. He was part of their thirty seven championship axes had two touchdown catches in that game of 55 and 78 yards and caught nine balls for 160 yards, which are great numbers in any era. But, you know, when you look at his overall numbers in his career, he had 124 catches for uh, 1,578 yards and 12 TD. So it doesn't, and, and I think part of the problem when you look at these guys from, from these, these earlier years, cause he was on the 1930s all decade team is uh, the numbers sometimes, you know, don't, you know, jive with today's sort of gaudy offensive numbers. And I think that Wayne Milner is an example of that. As people probably look at his numbers and say, "Well, geez, how good could he have been with those?" But he was known as a clutch performer who always seemed to perform best, you know, in in the big games and and that type of thing. But he was and known as a, you know, really outstanding two way player when you, you when you still had two way players in NFL football. Yeah, I mean, one of his great stories about him is probably his college days. He played for Notre Dame. Uh, his 1933 seasons last year at Notre Dame, they sort of had a bad year. You know, Notre Dame was a powerhouse back then, oh, yeah. now, but they were the, the dominant team. And sure. they're really uh, the last uh, game of the season was against Army who was another powerhouse at the time. And uh, he ended up with uh, little time left. He caught a pass from William Shakespeare, not, not the poet. (laughs) And uh, it ended up Notre Dame beat army 13 to 12 in that game. And it sort of 
made uh, some celebration for the season that was uh, otherwise a uh, kind of a loss for the, the fighting Irish. Yeah. So yeah. 32 seconds were left in the game when he caught that pass. So that's, that's uh, Notre Dame Army was quite a rivalry back in those, uh, you know, those, those days of college football. Yeah, it really was. I mean, I know that I remember reading stories about, you know, the games I used to play at Yankee stadium were just, you know, huge crowds when those two teams got together. So, uh, you know, they were the cream of the crop. Well, at least, Part of the cream of the crop. I won't say that they they were because I don't want to I don't want to anger fans of other teams because there was also you know, a lot of other great teams back then. But they were definitely two of the top teams in college football back then. Right, sort of the uh, probably the Alabama LSU game of today. Yeah, you know, was right. I probably would, a good yeah, way to I, equate it. You know, I think, I think that's a good analogy. They yeah. might not win it every year, but one of them is up, up right. right up in there. Yeah, they're right up there. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so what do we want to do with Milner? Do we want to put him on, or we want to? Take a I, I pause we, on him. I, I think we almost have to put him in because you know, okay. having looked at the other names, I, I think he he deserves to be in based on you know some of the other names. You know, I, there, I, there are, you know, I mean, obviously we're going to get into non Hall of Famers now, and there are, you know, I think uh, three or four really worthy ones for the top ten. So, uh, but yeah, I I think he definitely deserves to be in. Okay, so that takes us up to six. So we have. Uh, all six of the Hall of Famers that we considered, uh, we, we put in. So that's, that's a good start. So now we're going to get into the, the folks that are, are not in the Hall of Fame yet, as I like to say here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not sure what direction you want to go next. We have some great players that wore the number 40 for you know, double-digit years and uh, some pretty close to double-digit years. But I'll, I'll let you choose where, where you want to go to first. Yeah, the next on my list is Bobby Boyd, who was a, a Colts defensive back in the uh, 60s played for nine years. And, and I think the thing that really stood out to me is he played 121 games and had 57 interceptions. Think about that. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot for that. And he was on the 60s all-decade team. He played on the – well, obviously this was the, you know, the, the you know, Unitas Colts, uh, you know, of, of that era, at least start, starting that era because he started in 1960. So it would have been right after they won the back-to-back championships in 58 and 59. But that was still – Pretty much, you know, a lot of the nucleus of that team was still there with, you know, with Barry and Lenny Moore and, and Unitas and, and the others. So he was part of that. They, they played in the 64 championship game and got upset by the Browns, uh, 27 to nothing, which is, uh, you know, obviously a, a, a great memory for us in Northeast Ohio. That's our last championship. Uh, and then but in 68, they got revenge and, and you know, pummeled, pummeled the Browns in the uh, in the championship game and then went on to Super Bowl three. And we all know the story of Super Bowl three. And that was actually Boyd's last game. And he said that that it was interesting. What I read is, is that he said that that, that game was was uh, nightmare, nightmarish to him. Yeah, it's uh, we had uh, Upton Bell on uh, a couple months ago and Upton was the player personnel director uh, of the Colts during that sixties, uh, right up to 1970 when they won Super Bowl five. And he had some very fond memories about many of the names uh, that mm-hmm. were on those Colts teams, you know, cause he was uh, a 21 year old when he started there soon after his father, you know, was late, the late commissioner Burt Bell. And right. uh, he just uh, very fond memories. And, and Bobby Boyd was one that he mentioned that he enjoyed, you know, cause they were, the players were more approachable, even for the front office people, you go out and have a beer, have dinner with them and, yep. Yep. uh, Yep. You know, many of the teams uh, lived at uh, somebody's house. You know, you'd have four or five players living at somebody's house that lived in town yep. and yep. You know, some things like that. So yeah, uh, definitely one of those great Colts uh, 
And uh, I'm su- kind of surprised. I think we talked about it earlier that uh, kind of surprised that he's not in the Hall of Fame yet. Yeah, uh, I, I I saw an article on uh, on the internet of somebody that compared him to some other you know Hall of Famers and felt that you know his numbers were you know definitely deserving. The, the conclusion they came to was possibly there was maybe a little bit of uh, of uh, you know uh, that the Super Bowl three loss maybe hurt in some ways with the, that, that if they had won that game, there may be more members of that, that particular Colts team that would have made it into the hall of fame and that that maybe, you know, hurt him. I don't know if that's, that, that was one, I'll say that's one writer's opinion. I think the one thing that, that stood out to me about him was his preparation. Uh, they compared him to Raymond Berry because Raymond Berry was known for his detailed preparation as a, as a receiver. Uh, and they said that Boyd, was that equivalent on the defensive side of the ball. And I thought one of the more interesting stories was he played quarterback at Oklahoma for Bud Wilkinson. And uh, in 1965, late in the year, both Unitas and the Colts backup quarterback, Gary Clazo, were both hurt. Uh, they had to play Tom Matty, who, was, uh, uh, who had, had played quarterback for Woody Hayes at Ohio State. And we're not talking – got to remember, Woody Hayes and Ohio State and passing – don't are not often in the same uh, sentence or paragraph. You know, if you look at his statistics, he didn't throw the ball a whole lot at quarterback. Yeah, three yards in a cloud of dust for Woody Hayes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I think Woody once said that that three things can happen when you throw the ball, and two are bad. Uh, <laughs> right. So, yeah. So you know. So at any rate, he didn't throw the ball a lot, but he they made him quarterback, and now famously they made like a wristband for him with the plays and everything, but. You know who his backup quarterback was? Bobby Boyd. Oh, boy. and, they, and they referred to him as YA after YA Tittle, famous, you know, Giants and 49ers quarterback, because YA Tittle was, was famously bald, and so was Bobby Boyd. <laughs> so they jokingly referred to him as YA. So I thought I thought that was sort of a fun story. Yeah, it definitely is interesting. Um yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I I think uh I mean, I think there's another one that we're talking about, I think has got to go on that list because yeah. he was just a fantastic player. Now, I think when we were talking earlier, did we, I think we both think, believe he is in the uh, PFRA's Hall of Very Good. He is, he is definitely in the Hall of Very Good. I checked that. Yeah. And, he, and, in fact, a couple of players coming up here that'll be on my, my, my top 10 or our top 10 are, are, are if we agree, are, are in the Hall of Very Good. So, uh, and usually lately, that's been a pretty good stepping stone for people has. to get there's, into Pro Football Hall yeah, of Fame. So, yeah, there's been a number of players that, that were named by the PFRA to their Hall of Very Good that then went on to become Hall of Fame members. Yeah, we got if you look at the list on our website, you'll see the, the little asterisk or notation by the ones that are now in the Hall of Fame. So, yeah, that's, so and he's, he's one of them, but he's one of them that's in the Hall of Very Good that maybe one of these days we'll see. Maybe the old timers will put him in senior. Yeah, he, he I, I think he's very deserving. Yeah, well, maybe maybe this is a good time to talk about it, just to take a pause on our, our discussion on the, the number 40 players. But, um, you know, you living in Canton, you sort of probably get a little bit more news than maybe the rest of us do. But I've, I've heard some rumblings that maybe uh, they're going to do some different things to try to get some of those senior players uh, in. You know, some people that have been out of football for more than 25 years uh, and try yeah, to get these know, caught up it's always a hot topic, you know, and, and I think part of the problem is, is that, is that getting the, the voters to, to educated on some of these guys. And I think also what hurts too, is sometimes statistically, some of these guys don't stack up because I, I think we've had 
sort of an escalation of, of, of statistics recently, uh, you know, in football, you know, with some of the numbers. And I think it's sort of hard sometimes to compare, you know, years. I, I always get angry when people compare years and say, well, his statistics weren't that great. Well, you know, look at the era that they played in. You know, how does he rate up against others that played in his era? Not not by today's standards, because, you know, I mean, it just it just isn't going to work. You know, I mean, you know, uh, it, it just it's a different game, you know, right. uh, offensively. And so, I, you know, how can you you know, how can you compare, you know, numbers from, you know, a modern quarterback? Sometimes even the quarterbacks that you don't consider the, the cream of the crop of their current guys have greater numbers than some of the guys that were considered the very best in their day. You know, if you if you look at Norm Van Brocklin and Bob Waterfield or, or, you know, Otto Graham, who considered probably the best of the of the 50s with, and Bobby Lane, I got to throw him in there, too. And, and then later, Unitas, you know, Unitas has more, I would say, modern type statistics. But some of these other guys, you know, their numbers aren't quite as gaudy, you know, but that doesn't mean they weren't just as great. But, yeah, I think I, I hope that they try to educate them because there are a number of players that even though they this was supposed to be sort of a catch-up year, there's still people that have fallen through the cracks that deserve to be in. And, and and it's really hard to justify sometimes when you see one guy that gets in. And and I saw that in the article about um, Bobby Boyd. Not 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 to put down Jack Butler, but they, they compared him to Jack Butler, who's in the Hall of Fame. And they said, numbers-wise, they're almost identical. So how, how can you justify – you know, Butler being in, but boy, but that, that, but that's true. I'm sure if you look at numbers in the baseball hall of fame in any hall of fame is you're always going to have those, those arguments, but yeah, I hope they try to educate themselves better. Uh, you know, I think it was really great a number of years ago when they put in Benny Friedman and Fritz Pollard, who had been overlooked and overlooked and overlooked. So I'm glad they did that. You know, and I, I hope there's more of those, you know, types of years coming up. I mean, I'm not saying I, I think what they did with the, the, the current class, I know there's some arguments, you know, there, but, you know, I think they, they definitely got some people in that deserve to be in. And so, I, there's still more. There's still more. I think that the, uh, the public and the, uh, the, the media are getting a lot more educated. You know, a lot of yeah. like yeah. folks like at the PFRA, you, know, you, you guys are doing a great job of, of getting right. that out there. And, uh, you know, the, the pro football hall of fame themselves and the college football hall of fame, national right. football foundation, they're, right. they're getting the, the word out there about some of these great players and giving them some notoriety. And, you know, the yeah. ESPNs and NFL networks are playing some, some films and putting together some documentaries and things to, to educate people. And that's yeah. helpful. Yeah, yeah. The, the the NFL didn't start with New England and Bill Belichick. Uh, right, right. Yeah. So you know, so I mean, there's a lot of great football. Or or did it start with the Super Bowl era? You know, there's a lot of great football played prior to that first Super Bowl game. So you know, and people have to you know go back and and you know sometimes realize that that there's a lot of great football played in those other eras, and there are some some players that fell through the cracks. So yeah. yeah. And you have to appreciate the, the style of play at the time too, you know, the, you the technology and the, the schemes and schematics and yeah. weren't, weren't there then. So yeah, the, rule, the rules too, you know, that's definitely yeah, a big yeah. factor. Yeah. So, okay. I'm sorry. We'll, we'll get back to our, our discussion here. Okay. So Bobby Boyd ends up being our seventh player in our top 10 of the, the greatest players. Um, is there anybody in particular you want to go to next? Dick Anderson. Okay. Uh, safety with the Dolphins during their 70s Super Bowl years. He's also in our Hall of Very Good uh, 1970s All-Decade team. Um, tied for the record for four intercepted passes in one game. Uh, but, you know, just an outstanding uh, 
you know, defensive back with the Dolphins during, you know, the, those that three-year, you know, run of Super Bowls. They won two of them. They didn't win all three, but, you know, and part of that, you know, also that uh, perfect 1972 team. So, you know, they, they were basically, you know, he was a stalwart on that defense. So Yeah. And you look at his numbers, you know, coming out of uh, University of Colorado uh, during the draft. He, you know, he's uh, six foot two, 198 pounds with speed and quickness. Now, yep. that would be like every uh, every uh, general manager's dream in the NFL right now, if you can get a corner <laughs> that size of speed. So yep. he was sort of the prototypical cornerback uh, 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 before his time, even. So, <laughs> and he played great in his time in his era. So. Yeah, and, uh, and you know that, that Dolphins defense. I'm just looking now. That 72 defense gave up a, a league low 171 points that year. Uh, wow, and, you know, uh, it's just amazing. And he actually, the game that he had the four interceptions, it was against the Steelers in '73. He had two went back for touchdowns. He he ran two back for touchdowns. So that was a Jeez. maybe his, the game of his life. But uh, you know, he was uh, he was great. You know he. Uh, uh, again, knee knee injury probably cut his career a little bit short, but uh, just you know, great, uh, uh, great, great defensive back. Okay, what what do we want to do with with Dick Anderson? Then do we want? I to... think he's, I, I think based on other names, I, I'd have to put him in my top ten. Okay, I, I'm in agreement with you because you know when you have you know the, the Hall of Very Good, uh, he's you know college football Hall of Famer. Uh, I, I think really think he's another one, you know, with Bobby Boyd that has a good chance of someday getting into the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame if they carry out the senior thing. And I, I agree, he's one of the top uh, ten most significant number forties in the NFL, I without agree. a doubt. I've got, I've got another defensive back who would, who would be my next choice. Okay, uh, Eric Barnes. Okay, I'm you have to. I'm not familiar with him. Let's. Uh, he let's played. Talk about him. The, they played for the Bears, the Giants, and the Browns. Six-time Pro Bowler. Uh, three different teams. Um, he was out of Purdue. He played with Lenny Dawson at the same time. Lenny Dawson was at Purdue. Uh, he's in our hall of very good. Uh, and he was just known for his, you know, physical aggressive play. Uh, so he was, uh, but he was, uh, he was a great defensive back for the bears, the giants and the Browns, um, uh, you know, basically, uh, during that era. And like I said, he, he is in our hall of very good. Yeah. I see that 45 interceptions, seven of them returned for touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very impressive. Yep. Uh, he played from 58 to 60 with the Bears, 61 to 64 with the Giants, were, which was during the, the years that the Giants went to uh, consecutive NFL title games, never won, 61, 62, and 63. He lost to the Packers twice and then lost to uh, Hallis and the Bears when they had that great defense. And then he also uh, – spent uh, 65 to 71 with the Browns, which was a good era for Browns football. And back, you know, sort of, you know, uh, uh, the, the Browns, I, I guess, historically, obviously had, had great era through the sixties. And then obviously they had the, uh, the Brian Sype cardiac kid years in the late seventies. And then the Bernie Sype or Bernie Kozar, Bernie Sype. There, there's a good one. <laughs> Bernie Sype. Bernie Kozar. Making a, hi- a hybrid Browns quarterback. Yeah. yeah hybrid quarterback. Yeah. Bernie Sype. <laughs> 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 Awkward and cerebral. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but anyhow, um, and and I hopefully we're starting a new era with Baker. But you know, at any rate, but yeah, he was on those late sixties uh, Browns teams, which were you know always in the hunt, always in the hunt, always you know. So I uh, played for uh, at least for a couple of those years. He played for Blanton Collier, but uh, yeah, those are those are good years for Browns football. 
Yeah, I, I see his first year with the Giants in 61. He had led the NFL with the longest interception, 102 yeah. yards. Interception. Yards. Yeah, I saw that too. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? I'll have to look that one up on YouTube. Yeah. That sounds like a great play to watch. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he would definitely have to be in my, in my top 10, which I, I think we're starting to fill that top 10 out here pretty good. Yeah. That's uh, I mean, you make a very compelling case for him. I, somebody I wasn't familiar with. Okay. So I, I agree with you here. I think uh, we got to put him in. So he would be our ninth player on our top 10. So now, um, now it's getting a little dicey here. Yeah. My 10th one was tough because I, I, I was looking at two, Sort of, uh, I was looking at some some running backs, and and there's there. I think you could make an argument for uh, a few of these. One is uh, Ken Willard, who has some great years with the 49ers in the uh, uh, early 70s. He was on the the back to back 49ers teams under Coach Dick Nolan that made it to the NFL Championship game with John Brody at quarterback, and uh, he was a four time Pro Bowler. Uh, and he was probably, he was a good all around athlete, good receiver out of the backfield. Um, he was also drafted by the Red Sox. So I mean, he was definitely a good all around, you know, athlete, but you got to consider Ken Willard. Another guy to consider is Mike Allstott who played for the Buccaneers. Um, he played for both, uh, Dungy and, uh, and John Gruden. Uh, he was a, a six time pro bowler. Uh, Dungy called him, you know, a catalyst type of player for the Buccaneers. So I think he's another one to consider. Uh, and then uh, uh, another, you know, there, there's a couple other good players too. You look at somebody like Abe Woodson, who was a cornerback for the Niners and the Cards, five-time pro bowler in the uh, late 50s and, and into the mid-60s. You got a guy like, you know, Pete Banasak, who played for the Raiders, a uh, real bull- bulldozer at running back. Uh, was part of their Super Bowl uh, nine victory uh, over the Vikings. So uh, there's a lot of those types of players. I I I guess if I had to pick one, I, I think I I'd maybe go with Willard. But I, I think you could make an argument for a number of guys, you know, that are you know right at that number ten spot. Yeah, I mean, you got your guys like uh, James Hasty, you know, who had 45 interceptions in you yeah. know his career. More of a modern yeah. player, 1988. Uh, yeah. We played with yeah. the Jets, uh, Kansas City, and Oakland near the end of his career, all the way to 2001. You know, that's uh, that's significant. Um, there was another another uh, guy on there. Um, was it uh, Bruce Laird? As another player that. Uh, you know, had some some good numbers. I don't know that he would be in the same conversation with some of these other ones, but definitely another significant uh, a defensive back uh, that was oh, then, a, a great return man. Um, and then you got somebody like Pat Tillman, you know, right? Who knows, right? Who knows, who, you know, I mean, who knows what Pat Tillman would have been, you know, if he hadn't, you know, decided to uh, to fight for his country. You know yeah, if you mean? give a score for bravery and uh, you know yeah, honor, so, you know, definitely yeah. Pat Tillman is is yeah. right in there. So, you know, so, so, you know, so he's, he's up there too. I mean, obviously his career was cut short by his, you know, decision to fight for his country and stuff, but nonetheless, he was, he seemed to be going to be, you know, based on the, the few years that he did play, it seemed like he was going to be a superior player. So yeah, most, most definitely. And if, had, and if he had that type of character, you got to believe character equals something in the NFL. So, you know, you got to believe with that kind of character that he would have, Know, developed into that kind of player too so you know 
obviously statistically it's sort of hard to put him in. So I, I don't know. I, I sort of lean towards Willard, but, you know, but I think you can make arguments for, you know, any of those, you know, ones that I named, you know, I, after that, it starts thinning out a little bit. There's a couple, you know, interesting stories with some people, but uh, those are the ones that sort of, uh, you know, stuck out to me. Well, let, let's take a, you know, let's take another, a little closer look at Banizak. You know, because you, okay. you mentioned him. Yeah. I just wanted to see what he was, you know, statistically. I guess, you know, he was only 3,700 yards rushing, uh, you know, 3.9 average, but, you know, 47 touchdowns. I just wanted to see what he was compared to Willard, who had uh, over 6,000 yards right. and uh, another 2,000 uh, receiving yards and quite a it, few touchdowns. Interesting that, thing about Banasak was he was known for having a nose for the goal line. In 1975, he tied O.J., for the uh, league lead in, in rushing touchdowns with 16. Wow. So, yeah. That's sort of interesting. So, yeah, you know, short, short was, back. yeah, that's what he was. He was that kind of guy. I remember I, one of the, the words I saw to describe him. And as I remember him was, you know, bulldozer, you know? So, I mean, I, even the name to me is a good football name, Banizak. I mean, that to me, that's like, like Butkus, you know I mean? That's a good football right. name. Right. So, you know, so, but yeah, so uh, I, yeah, I, uh, I think you got me convinced on Willard because I'm just looking at his, you know, he had 45 rushing touchdowns, 17 receiving touchdowns, you know, has almost uh, between 8,500, 9,000 yards of total offense. Uh, that's, that's some good numbers for a running back who do, generally they don't have uh, more than three years in the, the league, I think is the, the average for a running back. So when you have some a little bit of longevity and your production is up for most of those years, that's that's significant, and I I think maybe he might be our number ten. I think so. You know, those Niner teams in the early seventies were really good teams. They ran into the Cowboys both years, unfortunately, uh, but you know, I mean, they were they were uh, they were a good team. Uh, so they just they just ran into to uh, you know a team that was just a little bit better, sort of like my Browns with the Broncos. Those, those three a you know AFC championship games, and you know you can. You know, we talk about all the teams that ran into Michael Jordan, you know, so, I mean, you know, it just that right. you know, they were just a little bit better and had their number those two years, but, you know, they were a good team. And, and you know, he was one of the reasons he was a good, solid uh, player for them. Well, you know, I think I think we accomplished our mission here. Um, yeah. I mean, I yeah. want to just go through real quickly to review our top 10 here. No particular order is we have, you know, Eric Barnes on, on our list. Uh, Ken Willard, who we just put on Dick Anderson. Bobby Boyd, and then we have uh, Hall of Famers Wayne Miller, uh, Milner, Miller. Uh, Cal Hubbard, Charlie Joyner, uh, Crazy Legs Hirsch, Mike Haynes, and Gail Sayers. Round yeah. out our top ten. So that's a great list. And I, and I would have to say again, I, I we're going to repeat myself, but I would say that that as far as I'm concerned, Gail Sayers greatest player to ever wear that number. I I, I don't disagree with you a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's uh. Generally, you have you have a lot of those numbers. You know, you have uh, we've gone through a lot of them that you just one guy really stands out above uh, the the rest of the all stars. You know, so you know, in, in doing the research too, there's a couple other guys that I think at least deserve some mention just because of of some of their you know story. Uh, Tom Brookshire, who was a cornerback with the Eagles, uh, played on their '60 uh, championship team that beat the Lombardi Packers. I was the only championship game the Lombardi Packers lost was to the Eagles that year that Eagle team also had Chuck Bednarik so and Norm Van Brocklin was their quarterback after he left the Rams he went on and won another championship with the Eagles but he is probably most well known as Pat Summerall's first 
partner in broadcast. They right. used to do the old uh, show, the weekly show, the the highlight show back then. Uh, you know, uh, that was put together, I believe, by NFL Films. But uh, you know, Tom Brookshire was was one of the announcers of my, you know, of my uh, high school years that I remember really well. So him and him and Summerall did a lot of games together. So uh, and, and then another name, uh, I, I thought it was interesting. Two guys that were really outstanding college athletes, but never quite did quite as well in the pros were Nick Eddy, who was a great running back in Notre Dame. He was on the 66 team that played in, in what was then called the greatest game ever played against 10 and 0 Michigan state, 10 and 0 Notre Dame ended in a 10, 10 tie. Uh, may not have been both 10 and 0. I, I think about it because Notre Dame, I think at one time only played, uh, but I, they were both undefeated. Both undefeated, right? Yeah, both undefeated. I shouldn't say ten and zero, but they're both undefeated. But he was an All American on that team. Didn't have quite the pro career because of injuries. And then Howard Cassidy played at Ohio State, better known as Hopalong Cassidy, Heisman <laughs> Trophy winner for Woody Hayes, and he played for uh, 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 the Lions in the late fifties and did play on one of their championship teams, but. Uh, had had a, a solid career with the Lions, but never never like you know the Heisman Trophy winning career that he had with with Woody at Ohio State. So, but Howard Hopalong Cassidy, and then from a, um, a, a, a a sort of a social standpoint, David Copay was wow. one of, was the first, at least first or one of the first pro team that played for a professional team to come out as, as gay, David Cope. Um, he was, uh, uh, he was a running back for various teams in the sixties and early seventies. Uh, not, I, I don't think by any means, obviously a great player, but you know, significant from that standpoint, N- another very brave yeah. Uh, yeah, player yeah. to, to uh, do yeah. what he's yeah, when, did, I, when so. I did some, so when I did some research, there's actually some, uh, some, uh, LGBTQ uh, websites that list that as maybe the number one most significant moment uh, uh, him him you know coming coming uh, coming out he came out three years after he retired uh, wow and there's there's it, it's an interesting story uh, you know but he's he's considered sort of a uh, an, an icon of that of that community because of of him you know coming out and showing that bravery to come out. Yeah, that's so, definitely significant. Definitely, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned him. Great. Yeah, yeah. So he he was another one that sort of, I guess, sort of stood out to me. Uh, maybe not so much for his his playing career, but uh, and actually he 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 wanted to continue coaching, but found it hard to get a job and felt that you know he was maybe uh, you know uh, prejudiced against because of of his coming out. So because uh, he didn't continue as a coach, but the shame of the era was just a little bit different than than. Uh, it We've was. had a little bit more enlightenment in, in uh, yeah, 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 most definitely. later years yeah, here, so, so that's yeah, that's good. Yeah. So, but I, I I wanted to mention him. I mean, there's some there's some other interesting names. Uh, uh, Ed Rutkowski, who was with the Bills during their championship years in the '60s, sort of a utility player for them. Uh, he spoke at our uh, at our convention in Buffalo uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, he he later had a real successful uh, local political career in that that. Uh, part of uh, of New York State, so he was another sort of interesting one. And there's there's others. I mean, I just see some of the names here: Bobby Joe Conrad, Preston Carpenter, who played for a number of teams, including the Browns. Uh, Jim Marsalis, who was a uh, great defensive back for the the Chiefs during uh, 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 
uh, during their uh, their uh, uh, first Super Bowls, you know. So I, I just uh, a lot of uh, interesting players. Yeah, it, it's really interesting to me when you when when you see the list, you know, and you and you check these guys out, and some of them don't like like stand out to you, but then you see, well, you know, maybe you know, like like a guy like uh, you know Peyton Hillis who played for the Browns, and and in some circles. I know for Browns fans, Peyton Hill is a sort of like like representative of some of the, the 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 difficult times we've gone through as Browns fans. But you know, Peyton Hill has had one one thousand yard year, but that was it. You know, what I mean, so you know, and you, and that was sort of a common thread when I looked up some of these guys' names is is that you know these weren't you know they were they were at the end of the, the line they were probably what you would con- call, consider middle of the road NFL players, but nonetheless, you know, sometimes you know, their numbers were still, you know, pretty impressive. You know, it's, it's like, it's like a 280 hitter in baseball. Well, he's still a 280 hitter. You and I couldn't hit, hit probably a hundred in major league baseball pitching, you know? So, right. you know, so, you know, so, you know, think about it, you know, that, that means he's still getting to hit more than every four times at bat. So, you know, that's still something. Yeah. So, and you know. Peyton Hillis's defense, wasn't he uh, the victim of uh, the uh, Madden curse? Wasn't he on the cover of the he Madden was. for one year right, right after right. the you're, thousand? You're absolutely right. He was. He he's was. got more than one player. So they yeah. had a, an you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I did see that. Yeah, he was. <laughs> he was. Yeah, he was on the uh, Madden curse. He got the Madden curse. You remember the Sports Illustrated curse, too. Yeah, right. <laughs> you, you, you know, anytime you, you, you appeared on. I remember famously the Indians had a really good year the one year. So they, they, they were on the cover of sports Illustrated next year to win it all with uh, Joe Carter, who later played for the blue Jays and Corey Snyder. They had finished in the basement and lost over a hundred games that year. So that was, that was a <laughs> sort of a local sports Illustrated curse, but yeah, that sports Illustrated curse. I, I mean, that was like, you know, you didn't want to be on the cover of sports. Illustrated. Right. <laughs> so, at any rate. so yeah, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. I, I, he definitely was a victim of that Madden game. <laughs> so we'll, we'll just blame it on Madden or EA Sports or whoever makes that Madden game. So. <laughs> That's, right. That's, right. That's right. Well, uh, George, I really appreciate you helping us here with bringing us uh, some, some uh, notoriety. Some of these players maybe we have uh, forgotten, you know, especially the ones that really in the distant past. And, uh, you know, I'm, I hopefully we gave them some honor and some respect and uh, showed their significance in uh, pro football and, uh, you know, just another another way of uh, trying to get recognition for them. Um, now, do you have uh, any other uh, topics you want to talk about? You know, anything else coming up in the PFRA besides the convention that uh, – um, our um, our book on uh, the Rams will be coming out right around the uh, beginning of the uh, the NFL season. Uh, okay, that'll be our book on the fifty one Rams, uh, and also uh, we are just started work on the fourth book in our great team series, and that's going to be on the sixty four Bills. Uh, it's the first time we're we're covering a team uh, that is not. Uh, um, NFL centric because the, the that, that that was completely a a uh, um, AFL a, a, a team and they won the AFL championship in '64 and '65. Uh, Jack, just some of the key players are Jack Kemp, uh, George Sames, Cookie Gilchrist. Uh, but um, you know, uh, you know, one of the the best teams in in the Bills history. We actually considered, um, even though they never won a championship, those four years consecutive when the bills went to the uh, super bowl in the 90s mm-hmm. we actually considered that bills team because we still felt that they were one of the great teams in pro football history they just never you know won the super bowl but th- that doesn't mean they weren't one of the great teams 
Yeah, when you go to four championship games in a row, that's that's saying something. That's for sure. Yeah, it really, really is. And I and I think that you know, I think they did a. I want to say they did a, a thirty for thirty about them recently, uh, last couple of years. I, I think, think you're right the, about the fact that even though you know they they never won it, they were still um, one of the great teams. Um, I was trying to look up here. I mentioned the name Jim Marsalis, and uh, yes, he played. He played for the Chiefs in the late 60s and into the uh, mid-70s. He finished his career in New Orleans, but he was on – I wanted to make sure I was correct on that. He was on that first Chief Super Bowl team in the late 60s with uh, that team that beat the uh, Vikings um, in the in Super Bowl Four. So, yeah. So, he was another one that, that does have some notoriety that wore that number. So, All right. Well, like I said, uh, thank you very much once again for uh, – for joining us here. Uh, thanks for sharing your, your historic knowledge and, uh, you know, sharing these, these great players and their, some of their stories and uh, helping us bring recognition to them. And uh, we look forward to, to seeing you at the PFRA convention and we've been playing the commercials uh, every day. So hopefully the listeners, you know, know, know that, but if you want to, you know, give a, the dates again and uh, where they, people can get tickets and information. Yep. June, June 24th through the uh, 27th. And you just have to go on to the uh, Pro Professional Football Research Association uh, website. And there's a link right on our homepage. Uh, it gives all the information. Actually, we just also posted recently our, our itinerary for the weekend. So uh, you can get all the information that you need there. So uh, uh, look forward to seeing everybody in, in Canton in about six weeks. Yeah. And uh, I think we have to make sure we point out, uh, I think I saw yesterday on the on Twitter that uh, the PFRA gave uh, you you some special recognition, and uh, along with one of our our other a very common guests and a, a partner here on the Sports History Network, uh, Joe Ziemba for the I'm, I'm sorry, Joe Zagorski. Zagorski, yeah. Zagorski yeah. for uh, I get Joe, the two Joe Z's we have on here. I always get confused, yeah. but uh, you know, getting some special recognition. So you know, congratulations to both well, of you. you. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, uh, uh, thank you. Your your hard work is uh, very much appreciated. So yeah. we we. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. And then Joe was uh, well-deserving. He's uh, written a number of really uh, good uh, pro football, you know, history books with his book on the, on the seventies and uh, his book on Willie Lanier. He's uh, he's done a really nice job here recently with some of his book projects. So uh, he's well, well-deserving. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I don't want to take up any more of your time. So I thank you very much for, for joining us and we look forward to, to seeing you in late June. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, Darren. Thank you. The 2021 Professional Football Researchers Association Convention will be held at the Gold Jacket Lounge at the Pro Football Hall of Fame during the final weekend of June. Convention speakers will celebrate the 100th anniversary of the founding of the NFL. The fee for the convention is $50 for members and $100 for non-members. The fee includes admission to the convention and Pro Football Hall of Fame, meals on Friday evening and Saturday afternoon, and free parking. All convention activities are subject to COVID-19 protocols. For more details, Details, click on the 2021 PFRA convention link at profootballresearchers.org. We're taking a peek over at the chains and the down marker. It's fourth and long. We're going to have to punt the ball and get on out of here, but we'll have another series tomorrow for your football history headlines, so be sure to tune in.
We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. Pigskindispatch.com is a proud affiliate of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. assistant editor, everything was about to change, for she was about to discover the awesome attractiveness of Row 1 brand retro sports paraphernalia items, thanks to Orville Mulligan, sports writer. And there it is. Wow, Orville, that's really the bee's knees. Isn't it just? A poster-sized replica of the actual 1909 World Series program cover. I can see that. But where did you get it? And where'd you get it framed? I ordered it from the Row 1 website, where over 6,000 items of sports memorabilia from the 1880s to the 1990s are available for reproduction in multiple sizes and in several different materials, with over a dozen styles of frame to choose from for prints like this. Well, I'm sure Mr. Delft would love to put up more of these in the office, but I'm equally as sure they're beyond this newspaper's budget. (laughs) Not at all, my dear Marla. See for yourself. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com slash row one. Sportshistorynetwork.com slash row one. Oh my, these are good prices. Oh, and look at this stuff. Oklahoma, Nebraska football. College basketball art. Michael Jordan items. And so it was that Marla Delft discovered the spondiferous magic of row one sports memorabilia arts and prints. You can too by visiting sportshistorynetwork.com slash row one. That's R-O-W number one today for access to the full row one catalog of gallery prints and gifts like t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, telephone cases, coffee mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Act today for a 15% discount off all prints with coupon code SHN15 and 20% off all other items with coupon code SHN20 at checkout. And keep your dial locked to the Sports History Network for the exciting chronicles of the 1920 sports world in Orville Mulligan, sports writer. Coming soon. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? 
Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.